Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Tonight we're going to take a little bit of time and we're going to talk about the why and the how of ministry. The why and the how. And just to make it very easy to track along with, uh, tonight for the purposes of structuring our teaching, I'm going to present the why. Brother Burke is going to present the how. So what you're going to hear from me is going to be mostly uh, the biblical foundation for some of the questions and the topics that we're going to address. And then once I've provided a biblical foundation and addressed some of the points uh, for each topic, Brother Burke is going to uh, teach us some of the nuts and bolts, some of the practical side of each of these topics. We felt like this was going to be a timely way uh, to sharpen ourselves as we approach the beginning of our care team's ministry and rotating every week. We felt like these were going to be important topics, uh, not just for our care team ministry, but for everyone's personal evangelism and for everyone's personal uh, discipleship ministry. The people that you invest in, the people you come into contact with, uh, not just on Monday nights when we're doing care team ministry, but just in general, in, in life, in everyday life, these are things that are important uh, to being a believer and to being somebody that is the, uh, themselves a disciple. I want to turn your attention to Matthew chapter 28, and I'm going to read a passage from the New King James Version. It says this in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, And Jesus came and spoke to them, his disciples, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. In those verses and elsewhere in the Scriptures, the Lord tells us very clearly what our mission, what the mission of the church is. The mission of the church is to make disciples. We could certainly comment a whole lot more on that. We could branch off of it. We could uh, explore little subtopics off of that, what it means. But if we were to condense it down to its most basic form, it would be very accurate to say that the mission of the church is to make disciples. And the only qualification, the only uh, elaboration I would make on that before we move on is to say that the mission of the church to make disciples involves every person in the church. It's not relegated to just a select one or two or three or a handful, but the mission of the church to make disciples of all people is something that every member of the church should and can be involved in. We need every gift that God has given every single person in the congregation. If we're going to be as effective as we can be and as we should be in making disciples, it's going to be because every saint, every born-again person in the church has said, I'm going to do everything that I can to be a part of seeing that mission come to fulfillment here in Poplar Bluff and in Butler County. The mission of the church is to make disciples. So our topics tonight serve a dual purpose. The first is 
We hope that these topics and some of the things that we discuss and some of the questions that you ask and the comments you make, that it just creates an environment where there's teaching and more understanding and maybe a renewed inspiration to do some of these things and that it would help you in just everyday life. How many times do you come across somebody and strike up a conversation at the gas station or the supermarket or a restaurant or maybe a family member when you go over to visit or, or someone in the break room, wherever life happens at? We hope that some of these topics will help you in those moments, and we also hope that it will help us when we do our care team ministry on Monday nights when we're going and conducting guest follow-ups and we're doing care visits and and we're doing a little bit of canvassing and outreach in the neighborhoods, and we're making new contacts with people, that some of the topics that we cover will help you and make you feel even more confident. So there's three topics we're going to cover tonight. And for each of these three topics, we're going to talk about a why and a how. The first is guest follow-up. The second topic that we're going to cover is prayer with somebody who... Once they've, once they've been here a couple times, Brother Burke, once they've, once they've uh, been to a Bible study or to a church service uh, one or two times, I wouldn't call them a guest anymore. I would choose the language of a prospective disciple. This is somebody that has clearly shown an interest in the things of God, and I think we can classify them as a prospective disciple, somebody that's that's almost doing what Jesus invited his disciples to do in John chapter 1 when he asked them and said, come and see. This is somebody that's in that stage of answering the call of God on their life, and they're saying, you know, I'm going to come and see. I'm going to start to scope out what church is all about, what the kingdom of God is all about, and I don't think it's appropriate to necessarily call them a guest anymore, except we should probably call them a prospective Disciple, a would-be disciple. So we're going to talk about guest follow-up. We're going to take a little bit of time and talk about praying with a prospective disciple. And, uh, and then uh, third and finally, we'll talk about Bible study with a prospective disciple. So for a moment, before we get into any of those, I want to talk about our care teams, and I want to talk about what they are and why we need them. What they are, a care team uh, ministry, is a structured approach to evangelism and following up with people that God places in our path. Now, certainly, I hope that there's a certain degree of checking in on people that you're doing in your everyday life. You've got, everyone's got their people that they check in on, right? And I, and I trust that there's a lot of that that's happening on, on your own. In, in fact, if, if there's somebody that comes and is your guest at church, they come with you, I trust that Monday or Tuesday, you're going to check in with them again and see how they're doing and, uh, and just kind of do that naturally on your own. What the care team's ministry is, is it's a structured approach to that, and it just makes sure that nobody gets missed. It makes sure that we absolutely take advantage of everything, every, everything that God puts on our path. God is trusting us with somebody, with that contact, with, uh, and so are they. To, to actually attend a Bible study or to attend a church service, uh, they're trusting us by opening up and, and even attending and, and, and participating on that level. And our care team ministry is what helps us make sure that we're taking, uh, that we're taking the time to do what's necessary. And, and why we do that uh, is, is just to make sure that people aren't missed and forgotten. So uh, 
some, a word that we're going to use tonight and a word that we use often is the word guest. When, when they attend a, a Bible study, because uh, sometimes a group will do a Bible study and they'll, somebody will attend or sometimes we'll have guests in our church services, whether it's Wednesdays or Sundays, the word that we use to describe that is guest, and here's why. We, don't use the, we, we intentionally don't use the word visitor if we can help it because a visitor is just kind of passing through. A guest, and the reason we choose the word guest is because uh, it has baggage attached to it. The word guest uh, is connected to the word hospitality, right? When you go stay the night at a hotel, you're not a visitor. You're a guest. Amen? You're a guest. And you're expecting a certain level of hospitality. And so that's what, that's what we, and hospitality is a very New Testament concept. In fact, there's commands in the New Testament, especially in the letters of the New Testament, that command the saints and the church to be hospitable, not just to one another, but to outsiders as well. We'll get into some of that in a minute. So the reason that I'm bringing that up is that it's important because if, if we use the right words, it causes us to start behaving the right way. We can't be too careful about the words that we use because we start off using them and they end up using us. So using the right words is, is appropriate. And, and here's a couple scriptures that I would use to back that up, everything I just said. And, and everything I'm going to talk about tonight, Brother Burke's going to talk about more of the practical. Um, I'm going to talk about more of the why and, and the biblical foundation. So most of what I say, I'm going to offer a scripture that you can write down and make a note of, and uh, it'll kind of back up what, what we're talking about. And here's the ones that I would offer to back up everything I just said about guests and hospitality. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12 says this, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. That's how important it is. Leviticus, let's go Old Testament. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 34 says this, The stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you. I'm going to read that again just to make sure we catch it. The stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. And then there's that last part, I am the Lord your God, as though to say that's my stamp of I'm God and I make the rules. He says, you were strangers in the land of Egypt, and so the stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born with you. That's what the word of God says about how we treat not just one another, but outsiders and people who are our guests. So why follow up with a guest? Let's get into the, let's get into the actual topics for tonight. Why even follow up with a guest? Why give that extra level of attention to a guest? So when we say guest, we're talking not just about guests to a church service. We might be talking about guests to a Bible study or something else that happens. They have been our guest on some level. The first reason that I would give you is because we want to be good stewards. We want to be good stewards, and here's what I mean by that. By that. I don't think people are put in our path by accident or by chance. I believe God orchestrates things. I think you do too. I don't think that God puts people in our path on, by chance or on accident. I don't think that people attend church service on accident. I don't think people 
uh, attend Bible study or church service at Bluff City on accident. I think God orchestrates some of that and that part of our giving an extra level of attention and acknowledging that they were with us and trying to be as hospitable as possible and even following up with them in a structured way, I think it's called good stewardship. And I think that it shows, I think it sends a message to heaven that God can trust us with souls. With souls. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 says, It is required of stewards that they be found faithful. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 says, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. That's stewardship language. And it's important. That's why we follow up with guests. The second reason we follow up with the guests is simply this, because we care. We care. We care enough that they chose to be with us. We care enough that they decided to take their interest in the things of God to the next level. We care enough to actually follow up, to actually tag in with them again. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 in the New Living Translation says this, Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. We follow up because we care. It's one of the reasons why we decided to call them care teams, because we care. And the third reason is because it fits into our mission to make disciples. We follow up because it's directly linked to our ability to make disciples. And if, it's, if there's something that happens in the life of the church that is directly linked to our mission, our primary mission of making disciples, we want to be good at it. Because to be good at it means to be pleasing to God. To be bad at it or to be negligent in it means to be displeasing to God. And so we follow up because it is in alignment with our primary mission to make disciples. It shouldn't, let me say this, if somebody is wanting to answer the call, be born again, give their life to the Lord, and start living for the Lord, it should not be difficult for them to do so. It doesn't mean we lower the bar and we change our doctrine of salvation. We still believe that people need to be born again of the water and of the Spirit. But it should not be a puzzle for them how to join the church, how to become a part of the church. They should not have to search around and try to figure out where the figurative front door of the church is. and Try to figure out, how do I get, how do I get involved? How do I become a part of this church? How do, how do I get connected to somebody in this church? How do I know if they even want me to be a part of this church? If they're even interested in people joining the church and joining what God's doing at Bluff City. It should not be a big question mark and it should not be difficult. And so because of that, our, our way of making sure that it's not a challenge and it's not difficult is that we intentionally follow up. And it sends a message to them that we have a very easily identifiable on-ramp into living for God. We have a clear doctrine of what it is to be saved. You need to be born again of the water and of the spirit. 
and then we have a very easy-to-identify on-ramp, a door that you can walk through to start being involved in the things of God here at this church. And so we follow up because it is directly in alignment with our mission to make disciples. I'm going to let Brother Burke... I'm going to let Brother Burke take it from here in just a moment and uh, tell us about some of the hows of following up with a guest, some of the nuts and bolts of it. But before I do, uh, I would say, you know, the first visit, the first time someone gets connected to Bluff City ought to set up the second visit. Everything about the first visit and our follow-up should set up another visit and another point of connection. And because of that, we have a plan, and it's part of our care team's ministry. We do it because... We care, and we've got some particular ways that we do that. Brother Burke's going to teach us. All right. So how do we do this? Well, actually, the follow-up itself, it actually starts as soon as they pull up the first time that they are a guest. Uh, it's been a few years since I've looked into it, but at one time, Someone knows that they're coming back for the second visit the first seven minutes after they pull up in the parking lot. Within seven minutes, normally, they know if they're going to be able to feel comfortable enough to come back to a particular church. And so it actually starts as soon as they pull up. I thank God we have people at the back door that when, when a guest comes in, they're being welcomed, right? And um, I guess right there, we're following up. Soon. We're not starting from bare minimum here. We, we've got, we care. Right. Because we care, there's already things in, in order. And secondly, um, we have to get their information. We don't know how to go visit them at home if we don't know where they live. And we have to get that information, and I believe we have that already set up to to get that information so we'll know know where we're going and uh, what we're doing. One of the biggest things that we have to really focus on is if someone shows up by themselves. Um, I know a lot of times it's so easy to congregate with each other. Uh, but if someone's here that is a guest, uh, a step of following up with them is to never let them sit alone. How, how welcoming is that? Yep. Amen. Right. If I come and I'm sitting by myself the whole service, I'm not coming back. I'm really not. I don't feel welcome. I, don't, I feel out of place. And um, you ever been anywhere for the first time? How did it make you feel when you went there and not one soul spoke to you? That was a question. It's awkward, isn't it? Like you're unwanted. Right. So we've been, you've been here for a while. You're part of the family, right? You're eating the corn on the cob. You're running to the bathroom. You're eating the snacks out of the guest bowl. Right? You're comfortable. Right? Everybody's in the right place. Everybody's sitting. If I'm a first-time guest and I walk through those doors, I don't know that that's Brother Tommy's seat. 
And I'm by myself. We're following up. Why? Because maybe that night they stayed up all night long. They were right on the verge of not seeing the next day. And the Lord spoke to them and said, You know that church down there by the river? I'd like for you, I, I, I want you to walk through those. Right? Pastor said it because we're good stewards of what God gives us. So then we're, we're following up by making them feel welcome. We'll sit with them if they're by themselves. Another great thing, and I want to share this with you because this is, this is <laughs> so powerful. Um, before they leave the service. It is so important for the first, after the service is over, the first five minutes, it's so important not to come and talk to the preacher, the pastor, or the bishop. Why? Because that first five minutes ought to be for our guest. Because they're fixing to leave. I'm going to get to talk to him another time. But that might be the only time that I ever get to introduce myself to them. To welcome them. To make them feel comfortable. Amen. To be a face. To, to get to know them. Why would, why would we do that? Why would we make all the attention upon them? Right. They paid a price to be here. You know that? If you went and got you a $250 a night room and you walked, you paid for it and you hotel room and you walked up to the front desk and you looked at the attendant and they didn't even acknowledge your existence, would you ever be a guest there again? Amen? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm awkward. Well, we all are. I don't like talking to people. Well... I get it. But somebody talked to you. Right? And you and, and the person that's that, that is the guest, they may be awkward too, and they need an awkward person to feel comfortable around. Don't, don't think that everybody that, that's gonna show up is gonna have a great personality and outgoing. Some are gonna be as backwards as all get out. And they need somebody else that's backwards to talk to them. Right? That's who they're going to connect with. Not everybody's connecting with the evangelist, the pastor, the bishop, the elder. Right? And if somebody comes in with a tattoo, if you've got a tattoo, walk up to them and talk to them. If somebody walks in with a bald head, brother, me and you are going to be, have to be the ones to walk up to them. Right? But they need to feel welcome. They need to feel like they belong, right? Everybody has a place here. That's follow-up. That's follow-up. And so after service, let's bombard our guests. Amen? Let's bombard our guests because we're setting them up for what? The second visit. So that, that's key. When we, when we get their information, we're going out. We're going to call ahead, make sure they're home. 
We're going to arrive at the residence. We're going to bring a gift. We're going to have a conversation, right? We're going to talk to them. We're going to find something in common. We're, we're going to... You know what everyone's favorite topic is to talk about? Themselves. That's right. So if, if you find it difficult to talk to new people and you're standing on someone's front porch, just ask them about their kids. That's it. Or their grandkids or themselves. And most, of the t- most people will open up, and you won't have to do much talking anymore. That's so exactly right. It's just you, true. It's just human nature. Guess what you're going to find out when you do that? Everything about them. Why they came to church yesterday. The need's going to arise then. That's when you're going to find out. Just ask open-ended questions about them, not yes or no questions. That's right. Open-ended questions about them or their kids or their grandkids or their dog or whatever. Right. Uh, and most of the time, everyone will open up and it becomes natural and it's not awkward anymore. Anybody have any questions? Comments? Come on, I know some people in here that have opinions. <laughs> any concerns? Really, this is so important. So important. But I know that we'll take for granted, we take for granted sometimes our guests. They're ordained to the Lord to be here. We want to make sure that we can say that we care. We need to make sure they know we care. Brother, Brother Yeah. Right. 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 That's tough. Well, and you're going to have to catch them. They're it's they're running out of here. After service. So you, we need, it has to be on purpose. And here's something, I mean, I, I just got done doing district ministry for a while. And in Missouri District, there's a ton of people, and I can't keep track of everyone. I, I, I don't, I'm, I kind of served in a visible position, and people would know who I was, and I would really try to keep up with everybody, and I just couldn't. It just, I have a finite number of people that I can remember. And so I developed a system with some of the guys that I worked with, and it's a system that works in any setting. Uh, You probably already use it, and if you don't, I would recommend it to you. If you're talking to somebody and someone else, if if I'm talking to somebody and uh, Brother Alex walks up to him, I'm going to say, hey, Brother Alex, have you met so-and-so? I'm going to use their name, or I'm going to introduce Brother Alex to them. And using first name, using names like that, and and being the go being the intermediary takes the pressure off of everybody. And there's going to be times like if I walk up and and Brother Burke's already talking to somebody, there's a chance that I have never met the person, right. or I did meet the person and I can't remember their name, Brother Turner, like you're talking about. And in that moment, it's very very uh, nice of Brother Burke to find a way to use their first name. Right. In naturally in conversation without being weird to where it 
he, it's his way of making sure that I remember that person's name is, you know, Rudy or whatever. Right. Uh, he uses their name in conversation when I walk up, and it helps me. And, it get, and maybe I already knew, but maybe I forgot. And uh, no one ever has to know that I forgot if we're just helping each other out a little bit. So just, a, yes. just an easy way of, of going about that. One of the most powerful things we can do with somebody, one of the most meaningful things we can do with someone is pray with them. It's pray with them. It's something that whenever we do a follow-up, or, or, and I want to apply, apply it broadly to any time you have an interaction with somebody uh, where you feel the Lord where it's a spiritual conversation and you feel the Lord ministering and, and prompting you, uh, but especially when we're do, conducting follow-ups or care visits on Monday nights, one of the most powerful things we can do is pray with somebody. Yes. And so uh, it's, it's, it's a good thing to make a practice out of praying with somebody right there on the spot. How many know that there's a difference between telling somebody, I'll pray for you, I'll be praying for you, and actually saying, what can we pray about right now? And then taking a moment and praying. There's a world of difference between those two things. And I'm not, I'm not shooting down the first because it comes from a good place and our motivations are right whenever we do it. But there's something more, way more powerful and way more meaningful whenever we actually stop and we have just a little bit of boldness necessary. Yes boldness to stop and pray with them right there on the spot it's good to do and it's it's biblically it's encouraged prayer is powerful why offer to pray with them one because prayer is powerful that's the first reason i would give why why pray with someone someone whether you're just in conversation with them in the break room and you feel the lord start to minister to them or we're doing a follow-up on a Monday night, why bother praying with someone right then and there? Because prayer is powerful. James chapter 5, verse 16, in the New Living Translation says, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power. Not just power, but great power. And produces wonderful results. If you want results in your relationships where you're trying to invest in somebody, if you want results when you're doing a follow-up with a guest on a Monday night, pray with them. Prayer produces results because prayer is powerful. The second reason is I would say prayer displays faith. Real faith. This is the difference between patting someone on the shoulder and saying, I'll pray with you, I'll I'll be praying with you, and actually pausing and praying with them right there on the spot. Something about stopping and praying with them right then and there displays faith that God could do something right then. That I I believe enough, I believe God enough to pray about it right now. 1 John chapter 5, I told you I was going to give you scripture. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 in the New Living Translation says this. Listen to the word choice. And we are confident that he hears us. Whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. Verse 15. And since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. Confidence and knowing. There's a certain level of faith that gets put out front whenever we pray with somebody right there on the spot. 
The third reason that I would give you is because prayer conveys care. It's all about showing that we care. Nothing moves a person. What's the saying? Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. It really isn't about how much you know. It really isn't about how polished you are or how professional you seem or how prepared you may feel. It's all about them feeling like, you know what, this person actually cares about me. This church actually cares about the fact that I was, they care about what's going on. I just, we're standing on the front porch, and I just told them about what's going on in my kid's life, and they took the time, they paused. I know they've got other things to do tonight, but they paused and took a couple minutes and actually prayed for me right here on the spot. Something about that act conveys a great deal of care. It's been said, actions speak louder than words. Actions speak louder than words. And it's simple. If you care enough to stop what I'm going to do right then, if you, if you care enough to stop right then in that moment, a gesture like that says so much to somebody, it might, it might be the thing that takes a, a, a follow-up visit or even just a conversation at work or at home. It might be the thing that takes that interaction over the top and makes it a... It might take it from something that... Uh, just feels, God forbid, but maybe sometimes it just feels mechanical or mundane. I might just take it from an average, ordinary conversation and interaction to something that just, I mean, what seems like a small prayer to you may be something very, very power, a powerful God moment for them. Just to know that prayer, they're in the presence of somebody who believes that prayer works and that cares about them enough to actually stand there and pray with them there in that moment. It's one of the most powerful and meaningful things that you can do. Brother Burke, tell us about some of the ways that, that it happens. So it prayer <laughs> prayer is the conduit and uh, for God's spirit to transfer through us to others. Everybody that comes to the house of God, regardless if, if you think it or not, they they desire prayer. That's why they're that's why they're here. Um, you know, connecting with them at the door, at their front door, getting to know them. But one thing we can't get into with these care groups, Pastor said it, is we can't let it become just our job, our mechanical. We knock on a door, hand a gift, and say, we're praying for you, and hope, hopefully we see you Wednesday or Sunday. There has to be a spiritual connection between them and us, them and the church. And that spiritual connection every time is going to be prayer. Prayer. And so as we conversate, and you want you, they, you'll know, you, they'll feel comfortable with you. They've met you at church. Now you're at their house, you're at their front door. You're talking about the kids, the dogs, the pork steak that's on the grill, whatever's going on. Bef- there's going to be a time where I call it the God moment. Where you're wrapping up and you're fixing to leave. And 
the question has to come. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm needing to go. I've got a couple others to go see tonight. But before I go, this is so, you, you need to write this down. Before I go, what do you need the Lord to do for you, your family? What's your biggest need? And they're going to look at you, and within seconds, they're going to tell you why they came to church that day. They're going to tell you, well, my husband has cancer. Me and my spouse are split up, and it's looking like a divorce. My son's 13. I went in his room the other night, and uh, he was smoking meth out of a spoon. Or, I, you know, I've just been battling depression. And I know there's got to be more to life. I need God to help me. All right, I'll put you on the prayer list. Right? Or, I was teaching a Bible study. One, I think it was one Bible study, Larry Hillis, break room. To a social... Social studies major and a minor in chemistry. Gentleman, and he was working at Hillis at the time, and now he's a teacher. I think he teaches chemistry or somewhere. Taught a Bible study. Taught on repentance, baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. 25-minute Bible study. He stood up and he said, I, I think I can receive the Holy Ghost. I, I, God, I see where God needs. I need the Holy Ghost. I need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. All right, I'll be praying for you, and God's going to fill you with the Holy Ghost. Lift your hands. You believe God can fill you with the Holy Ghost? Yeah, I believe it. Lift your hands. Pray with me. Father, forgive me of all my sins. I need your spirit. And I believe with everything within me that you're God, Jesus, and that you can fill me with your spirit. I'm going to place my hand on your head, Justin, and when I do, God's going to fill you with the Holy Ghost. You ready to receive the Holy Ghost? Yes. Holy Ghost. He's in the break room here in town, speaking in tongues, God filled him with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, right? The next day he comes in. Hey, you ever woke up at 3 in the morning speaking in tongues? Right? That's how we do it. Pastor said, I know it seems so elementary. That's how we do it. We, we follow up. We ask the need. They believe God can do it or they wouldn't tell you the need. And when you lay hands on them and begin to pray for them, and the tears are streaming down their face. I feel the hell, I feel angels of the Lord here. When you do that, they automatically know you care. Amen? They know you care. That's how you do it. You ask the need, you pray for the need, and then you believe God for the need to be supplied. You know what they're going to do when you do that? They're coming back. And you know what they're going to say? Those people care. Amen? Yeah. 
Well, I don't have that type of boldness. Yes, you do. Yeah. It's, it's, this, it's this part right here that leads into the third thing we're fixing to talk about, about setting up a Bible study. When you, when you choose to pray with somebody, mm-hmm. it's your gateway into their world. Right. And when they let you in and you respond in faith and pray with them, it opens up the gateway to ask the next question and to say, is there a time that we could get together and talk about God's word together? Right. All of a sudden, you're in that moment where what used to be, uh, I've heard someone call it a molten moment, where what used to maybe have been hard as rock has, has become melted and it's shapeable now. And it's, it's all of a sudden you can, you can make an impression on it and you can, uh, you can lead them a little bit and say, you know what, why don't we pick another time and why don't we set up a time where uh, if, if it's not just me and you, maybe it's me and you and, and somebody else, one of our Bible study teachers, yeah. um, and, and you open up that moment. That's what prayer does. Right. Prayer's powerful. And let me say one more thing before we, before we move into the third and final uh, topic tonight. When you're praying with somebody, don't be afraid to keep it simple. That's right. You, there's some that, you know, I don't know, I've never prayed in front of any, you know, I've never really prayed in that kind of a setting where, you know, I'm just afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm nervous that I'm going to run out of things to right. say, right. Uh, that I'm going to say things that sound goofy and, and aren't very... Uh, polished up. Don't be afraid to keep it simple. They don't know. They don't. He just said it. They don't know. Here's what the Lord said in Matthew chapter six, verse seven. He says, "Don't when you pray." He says, "Don't babble on like the Gentiles do and heap up a bunch of words just because you repeat the same." You know, it don't you don't have to. You really don't have to look at the prophets in the Old Testament. I think of Elijah, Elijah on Mount Carmel. They spent all afternoon trying to get Baal to respond. And then it was Elijah's turn. And in the translation that I pulled it up, in, in the way it came into English in this particular translation that I pulled this, this afternoon, you know how many words he prayed before the fire fell? 59. 59 words. And the fire came and consumed that sacrifice. Elijah, in the next book, in 2 Kings, Elijah, or Elisha, uh, had this servant and they were surrounded by the armies of their enemies. And Elisha could see on the horizon the Lord's army surrounding them. Who remembers that story? And his servant couldn't see it. And he came back. They went back and forth a couple of times. And then finally Elisha's like, man, I've, come on. I've had enough, man. And he prayed this prayer. Here's what Elisha prayed. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. That was it. That's all it that's all it takes. That's right. It doesn't it doesn't take anything fancy. It doesn't take anything long-winded. Don't be afraid to keep it simple when you're praying with somebody. Just be direct and to the point and uh and let the Holy Ghost do what only he can do anyways. Right. It isn't about the right it isn't it isn't about saying the magic words. There isn't any abracadabra. You, there isn't a, a, a series, a sequence of words that you can say that's going to make God do something anyways. Let the Holy Ghost do what only he can do. 
and just be bold enough to pray and, uh, and, and personal enough to step out and, and make that connection with another person. Last but not least, let's talk about this third question. Why set up a Bible study? Why set up a Bible study? Here's three reasons, and, and I'm going to give you scripture for each of them. Why set up a Bible study? Number one, because disciples are made by teaching. If our primary mission is to make disciples, then it bears to reason, and it says it, teach, teaching them, in Matthew chapter 28, says, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And if our primary mission is making disciples, and the Lord said that the way we're going to do it is baptizing and teaching, then it bears to reason that if we can ever make, if we can ever create an opportunity to teach, we ought to take it. We ought to take it. And 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 in the New Living Translation says this, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach, to teach us four things, what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. So it teaches us what's right and it teaches us what's wrong. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us what to do to do what is right. The Word of God does all of that. It does everything we need. So we need to teach because it helps us make disciples. Secondly, it creates an opportunity to build a relationship. Right. These interactions we have with people, we're not doing it because we're, we're robots. We're doing it because there, needs, there has to be a human connection. There has to be a spiritual connection, but there also has to be a human connection. And something about the teaching environment when we're teaching one-on-one -on -one or in a small group especially, something about that helps relationships to develop. Luke chapter 6, verse 40, Jesus says, Students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. There's something about a relationship that's forged in a teaching environment that can't really be duplicated. It can't be, hear me. It can't be duplicated in a church service. That's right. I wish that it could. But what's our theme we've been talking about all year? One at a time. It's the only way it happens. It can happen in small groups, but it happens when people can get to know people. It, it's not, we, don't, we can't roll disciples off of an assembly line. It doesn't work that way. There's part of me that wishes it did. Because then we could automate things, and we could, but that's just simply not the way it works. There has to be a relationship that's forged, and there's something special about a relationship that's developed in a teaching environment that has a spiritual imprint on somebody's life. Um, that's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. The only way that can happen is inside of a teaching relationship where there's learning taking place, and there's somebody setting the example and explaining things, and there's another person that's gaining understanding and starting to change the way that they're living and walking in their life. Right. And the third is because teaching is the step that most, is the next step that most people need. Most people, whenever they are at the place where they're searching after the things of God and they're wanting to take the next step in their relationship with God, for most people, the next step that they need is to be taught, is to be taught. 
Acts chapter 8. God brought Philip into the presence of an Ethiopian man. The Ethiopian man was clearly interested in the things of God. He was interested in trying to learn more about Jesus Christ. And he was reading the scroll of Isaiah while he sat in a chariot. And Philip asked the question, do you understand what you are reading? Philip said, uh, the Ethiopian guy said, no, how can I understand unless somebody teach me? He said, I'm interested in the things of God. I want to know more about this Jesus Christ, but I'm not sure what my next step is because I don't understand the things that I need to understand. I need to be taught. And for most people, even sanctified folks, our next step in going further into our relationship with God is going into the Word of God deeper than we've ever been. And so that's why we need to set up a Bible study. And there's some practical ways to do that. And I know that may seem even, for some that may seem more intimidating than praying with somebody in person because here's, here's why. The, the praying with someone in person, that feels intimidating sometimes because some of us are introverted and we're, we feel like, ah, I'm having to pray out loud in front of somebody else and I've never, you know, it's, maybe it's a new experience, something new. But in large part, it's going to be, it's going to happen and be over in the course of a couple minutes probably. What, what hinders us sometimes when we're arranging for a Bible study in a teaching environment is because we know that if we do that, there's going to have to be a commitment of time. Used to, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do the back in my day speech because I'm not old enough for one of those. <laughs> but I do remember a time before our cell phones, and I do remember a time where when you made an appointment, you really didn't have any choice but to keep it, especially once. It got close enough because you really couldn't get a hold of somebody an hour beforehand because they may not be at the house. They probably were not going to be at the house. How many knows what I'm talking about? And if you told them I'm going to be in such and such place at such and such time, Brother Bob, you're probably out in town. I can't get a hold. I can't reach you. And I'm just going to have to be where I said I was going to be when I said I was going to be there. And now we've gotten into a, a, a much... It's ch- these cell phones have changed the way everything about the way we live in our day-to-day lives, not the least of which is if we have plans and we want to cancel them 30 minutes before they're set to happen, all we have to do is fire off a text message and we are released from our obligations. And <laughs> for better or for worse, that's the way it is. And when we arrange, when we're trying to arrange a Bible study or a moment where we can meet up with somebody and look into the Word of God together, we are making, we're setting an appointment and we're going to be held, we're going to have to actually show up. We're going to have to actually be there. And that can feel intimidating because we live in a world where 
that's not necessarily the norm. And anyways, I'm sorry, I, I got off into the practical there for a second, but I was thinking about that this afternoon. I was thinking about what are some of the things that are obstacles to us today, and I was thinking, I, I know all about that because I know how easy it is to, to change plans on the fly, and it used to not be that way, but it certainly is today. Yes, and that's what Pastor is talking about is that is the key um, to Bible studies of really teaching a Bible study is is commitment. It takes commitment. Um, and it's so easy to uncommit, isn't it, today? I'm, I'm guilty this morning. At, I had a meeting with the, an elderly brother from the Dexter Church at his house for some insurance purposes, and it was scheduled a week and a half ago at 9 a.m. And 8.40, I called him on his cell phone and he answered and we rescheduled till 10 20 minutes before but it takes commitment the opportunity for a bible study happens through prayer through the prayer that you pray with them at the home at the job and once you pray that spiritual connections there and through prayer that's when um, a great opportunity is is open. The, there's a door open. The reason I'm hesitant, I just had this thought. I remember when I was pastoring in Bernie, we'd had these first-time guest cards. And on the first-time guest cards, it would say, are you interested in a Bible study? And I believe, if I believe correctly, when we would count those at the end of the month, that we weren't teaching Bible studies to not even 50% of the people that marked that they were interested in a Bible study. We followed up. Listen to this. We followed up with 100% of those people. But we wasn't teaching Bible study to, to even 50% that put, I'm interested in a Bible study. And the reason was, is it was a, hey, we're here, we're knocking on your door, we're giving you a gift, we love you, we're going to be praying for you, see you, right? The spiritual connection of prayer has to happen because then it opens up the door for, hey, God's so good to us. Don't you believe that? Yes. I believe you just answered our, my prayer. Hey, we need to get together and uh, we need to learn more about him. I know I do. I need to know more about him, don't you? Yeah, I do. This Thursday, I'm actually, I'm available to do a Bible study. Thursday work for you? No, Tuesday works better. Hey, I can make Tuesday work because I'm committed. I can make Tuesday work. 6, 6.30, which one works best for you? 6 o'clock, I'll be there at 6. Matter of fact, I'm going to call you at 5.30 and let you know I'm on my way. That I'm already on my way. Right? That's how simple it is. And, and don't be afraid if you're setting up a Bible study, if you're having a Bible Don't be afraid to set a time limit on it. Right. Don't be afraid to have something else you need to get to to where, you yeah. know, to you where can do it. You, you don't have... You know, it doesn't turn into a marathon. 
that's not necessarily edifying to everybody as much as it may feel like it is in the moment. It might be more edifying and, and, and better right. to have a 45-minute meetup right. and then have another one the next week. Yes. That might actually be better. Uh, so, you No know, longer than an hour. I wouldn't go Never ask for longer than an hour of their time out of the gate. They'll turn into longer. As and, and Bible studies are, in my opinion, equal parts about teaching what you're, what you're, the material, right, and developing the relationship. That's right. It's to me, it's fifty-fifty. It's it's both, and that you can't separate the two. You can't. And there's multiple Bible studies out there. There's Bible studies that you can yeah. teach in twenty minutes. There's Bible studies that you can teach. For four times in 20 or 30 minutes, there's Bible studies that can go 52 weeks if you want to go a whole year. And, and so you can adjust to, to the individual on the Bible study. But, you know, there's, there has to be something for all of this to happen in our lives. And I feel like I'm about to wrap up if you want to... Uh, and that's a burden for the lost. You know what a burden for the lost is? You care. You care about them. You, we won't do any of this unless we have a burden. So what should we pray? You know what my prayer is to make sure that I'm in tune of, of winning the lost? My prayer is this. Father, deposit into my spirit your burden becomes my burden for the lost. Brother Lewis, that's why he can say, I need to go to Samaria. I must need to go to Samaria. Amen. I need to go find the one. I need to have a burden. When you have a deep true burden from God in your spirit every person you come in contact with will know hey they're not just going through the motions on a Monday night knocking on my door these people really care about me and my family care about my soul I believe in Bible studies me and my wife are here tonight because of rightly dividing the word of truth a Bible study my brother-in-law called me on one of them old historic dinosaurs a home phone and said I need to teach you a Bible study this day this time I'll cook you supper a drug addict welcome into the saint's home and he opened up the word of God in 20 minutes sister. in 20 minutes I went from knowing nothing about God to knowing that I needed to repent to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of my sins and that God would fill me with the Holy Ghost and I would have hope a 20 minute Bible study 
You know what he did? I, I've told this here. You know what he did for three days before the Bible study? He prayed and he fasted. Pastor Keene worked beside him. And on his lunch breaks, Pastor Keene would go eat lunch. He told me he fell under so much conviction. And my brother-in-law would get in the closet with the mop bucket and the brooms and pray during their lunch breaks and pray for me and my wife that he would be used of God, that we would be saved. He cared. Only stand. Don't you care? Anytime I get real busy, I get overwhelmed and like the focus begins to waver. Anybody ever been like that with life? It just gets, Sister Lewis, sometimes life just gets so busy that all I can be focused on is me what I got going on, what I'm doing, when I'm supposed to do it, and how in the world am I going to do it, right? And the Lord will just slightly say to me, it's a question I ask people all the time, ask churches, that God asks me, what's a soul worth? What's one soul worth? And then I'll ask you this, and I feel like we're going to pray together. What's your lost child worth? What about somebody else's lost child? What's that soul worth? Family, friend, neighbor, our community. Brother Elledge, they're going somewhere. People are going somewhere for eternity. It might as well be heaven. The Sanders are going to they're going to perish without knowledge. I think it's Hosea 4 that says my people perish, my people are destroyed because of lack of knowledge. We have the answer, don't we? Amen. If you want this impartation that's taking place tonight, there's been a spiritual impartation tonight. Won't you lift your hands if you want to receive that? And won't you pray that prayer with me tonight? Father, I love you. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your mercy. And I thank you for your great love that you've given to me. My family, my church family. God, I'm humbled by your love.